It is Wednesday night, about 6 o'clock. I'm headed to go see Startup Grind with Michael Wong. It's a uh, startup get-together here. He's going to speak to talk about startups. Let's see if we can find some uh, interesting startups here in the OC. This event started at 5 o'clock, so I'm already an hour late, which is um, going to be wonderful. I might just get there for the meet and greet. All right, so we made it up to Startup Grind, sponsored by Google Entrepreneurs. Probably have a good 30 people here, and we're going to listen to an interview with Michael Wong. All right, while we're waiting for this event, I have something to say about the last podcast I did on uh, efficient faucets. Now, when I was over in Dubai, I was... uh, in a mall, actually, I was at the the uh, Atrium Emirates headquarters downstairs uh, near the coffee section, and I went into the bathroom, and lo and behold, this efficient faucet was right there. I washed my hands in it, and it was interesting because the way this thing works is it vaporizes water and immediately puts it into the uh, puts it into the air. So you use very little water, and then it just immediately gets everything wet, and like magic, it worked. It worked. Efficient faucets from Ikea. Go check it out. I did notice they put an Ikea in Dubai. So now Dubai officially has everything. All right, let's, um, let's see if this event gets going here. Okay, so I didn't get as good a spot near the speaker as I wanted, but uh, here is Michael Wan. You're going to hear some great stuff on his first startup where they were buying extra bandwidth back in the 90s and selling it for cheap and then sold and exited for a ton of cash and also about his uh, experiences setting up a startup in uh, Bangkok where they would have custom tailored suits made and then shipped back to the U.S. and there's some pretty hilarious stories in there. So a bit of a teaser. Um, You're going to need to turn up your volume for this segment. Uh, It's really worth a listen. Great stuff in here. Michael Wan at Startup Grind OC. You can find them on Facebook and online. All right, here it is. Michael, and Michael and I met a couple of years ago Yeah. 
sent my resume, went through the interview process, and it was just one of those moments where I have no idea why, I still can't explain it, but I just felt like, you know what, I'm gonna give this a shot, see what happens. Jumped, and really what, what really caught my eye about that is, it was the first time I was in an environment where I had an idea, and within three days, you could see it built out. And a lot of times they're bad ideas, sometimes they just don't fly, they don't get traction. But it was an amazing environment where your ideas matter, they can be implemented quickly, and there wasn't a lot of red tape to make that. And that's what really kind of triggered the love for being in that space that carried on for the next 20 years. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about how you went about and decided, okay, I'm going to go ahead and leave my nine to five I'm going to go with this startup. And were you married at the time? Were you at home at the time? Where was your personal life and how did you juggle that? So I had the, I had an inherent advantage at the time. I was the biggest loser you can imagine, especially when, you, when my parents were me. And the reason I say that is I had the culture that I grew up in, I had three career, career options. A doctor, a lawyer, or a doctor. <laughs> I had to be one of those things. And so right out of high school, I was yeah, I was at a college studying bio, thinking I'm gonna be a doctor. And um, absolutely hated it. And I'm sure you guys know, just like you, you see people that work in an important environment or really in this world when they don't like their job, they don't perform well. And it was a, if you know anything about a bio major, trying to get into med school, it's extremely competitive. I had no drive. I was, every quarter I was bouncing from academic probation, doing just enough to get off of academic probation, and then letting my foot off the gas, getting back on academic probation. Uh, you know, I had a 2.1 GPA in my second year. I had to call my dad who, and tell him that his only son did not want to be a doctor, was going to drop out and um, start all over. And so uh, there was kind of this mindset where I really had nothing to lose. I think that was an advantage for me. There, and, but it also created a lot of drive where I, I told myself, look, I have to, in a sense, I felt like I embarrassed my family, I embarrassed myself. And I had to prove myself in one way or another. That's what kind of led me to work. customer, 
that there was, so we were doing back in the 90s uh, discount calling cards. And if you, if you were alive in the 90s, some of you guys look like you weren't. <laughs> or if you remember, if you had to call from LA to New York, you were paying like 75 cents a minute. If you're calling from here to Asia, it was like $2 a minute. It was long distance calling was, was ridiculous. We were using cable lines to, to call the areas. And what we were doing, we were going to these big telephones at the time, like MCI, Sprint, Pactel. I don't think those are really around anymore. And we were buying their excess bandwidth. It's kind of the Priceline model before Priceline became a thing. We are saying, look, you have all this extra bandwidth, let us buy it. So we were buying it at fractions of a penny uh, per minute and reselling it at five cents a minute while everyone else was going at $25 to $2. And so, what ended up happening, sorry, I'm rambling. No, sorry. <laughs> we eventually found out there was a nationally, one of those consumer ads, it's kind of like a Susie Ormond, where she was always, that he was always like on, on the, he was a talking head whenever it came to how to save money, how to budget properly, things like that. He had a nationally syndicated radio show. We had no idea that he stumbled upon our business, and every time a caller called into his radio show and asked about saving on utilities, he was always telling everyone, for your phone bill, we want this to switch to Bixby. And it, when we finally found out, we, I remember we had we reached out to him and asked him if he wanted to partner with us. We, we'd give him a kickback on any revenue that he generated. And he actually even declined that because he wanted to maintain the integrity of the recommendation that he was making. But um, that was the first experience of a home run, and I wish I could take a lot of credit for it, and I wish our team could. But uh, I guess the only thing we take credit for is when the opportunity was there, we really took it granted. Wow. Uh, so what happened? With the, the bubble burst. So our valuation didn't take a huge hit back when we sold. And uh, again, I, I wish I could take credit for that. We lucked out on the timing. You hear that as a recurring thing for me. You can create your luck, you can, but when it happens, you have to take advantage of it. A lot of people just don't do that. Where, uh, that's kind of my story. All right. So you have a successful exit. You're looking to see, okay, what's next on the docket. So what do you decide to do next? So that was where I entered the three dark years of my life. Because from there, I went and worked for a large corporation. And I was running operations in the Midwest. I'm a, I'm a Southern California guy. I serve, I'm an avid fisherman, saltwater fisherman. I love the beach. And I was spending a week home, a week in the Midwest. Now, if you've ever been to Wisconsin or Indiana, no offense, but there's <laughs> nothing out there. Uh, and I was doing really well out there for the company, but after three years, it just got old. I missed California. And I told myself, I just want to find something that will let me live the lifestyle for a bit, where I can just enjoy California. I, didn't, I don't care about the money. I just wanted the flexibility. Stumbled upon an ad agency where we're still running today. Uh, at the time, we were less than a year old. I was the sixth person on the team that they brought on. And fast forward 12 years later, we're a Google Premier Partner. And Maybe you can step out. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about uh, NetSolutions, who we're talking about now. Um, what was your journey inside NetSolutions? So you're hired number six. So what, it, what did you do in order to 
question. I, I feel like in the startup space, there's this, everyone's enamored with this whole idea of the big home run, the next billion dollar idea. I, I tell people all the time, that's not reality. No matter how good your idea is, you have to be the hardest working person in the room. And uh, in fact, there are a couple other ventures that I've been a part of where the partners were executive in large, large corporations. They come in the startup environment, kind of have that executive mindset where they can try to tell people what to do, or not, it, it felt like they didn't have to do that much. I think in that environment, when you're in a startup of any kind, it's brutal. You, you work 12, 15 hour days, and in order to be successful, not just for yourself, but for the sake of the, of the company, you just have to hustle. And I feel like that's very undervalued in, in, in the startup business. Two views, and if you look at it politically, 
being profitable, right? right? Profit is taken, it's really getting beat up as a term in, in the media now. But I, I'm very big on companies being profitable. You have to be, right? You pay people and, and grow. But uh, I also have a, a somewhat of a philanthropy side where um, I, I think that you can combine the two. And really what that was, what the clothing company was initially was simply an attempt to see if the business model would work. And we're still trying to figure it out, but uh, it's at least been break even since, since launch. And to us, when we look at the jobs that's created and when we talk to the, the people overseas, we consider, we consider it a success at this point just because uh, of, I guess, the, uh, the, the phone calls with, them, with the people over there are amazing. It, when, when you hear the hope that they bring there, they're completely blown away that U.S. company would go into the slums of Bangkok and set up shop there, um, and that's really what, what keeps the strategy forward. So you guys get on the plane, you go to Asia, you go to Bangkok, and what do you do? Like you have an idea. What up? Like what are you doing? Well, did you have a plan? To clarify, I'm a snob. I sent my partner on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> So, so here's a funny story. Tell me about it. You're going to no, 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 no. I don't know. How this, I don't know. How this normally goes. We, um, we want you to give us the details and really let us know how you are, yes. how you went around to, to actually do this stuff. So we built a website, a simple template on Squarespace, which you guys have ever done it. You don't need to be a developer to do that. Um, and I remember I got the call. He, he was up in LA. He called me and said, "Hey, I'm thinking we'll, we'll put the site live tomorrow, which will be a Friday." And I was thinking, sure, go for it. And the, and the reason I said that, even though we had nothing set up, even when you say, what, what's next, is one, no one knew about us. Two, at the time it was $300 to, to buy your first subscription. And so because of the high ticket item, generally people take longer to, to convert. So I figured, oh, you know, someone's interested. It'll take them a while to pay $300 to come to the have idea. And three, it's just one of those, let's, let's just see what kind of traction we get in terms of website analytics, get some good UI UX data. And so, you know, it's, it, I guess it's typical of my attitude, but yeah, go for it, turn it on. Woke up Saturday morning, someone signed up. And we kind of laughed it off, we were thinking it was funny, oh, that's cute, someone signed up. Woke up Sunday morning, two people signed up on Sunday. And so we're like, what's going on? How did they even know about this? And that, that pattern happened over two weeks, and it went from kind of chuckling about it to about a week and a half later thinking, okay, what are we going to do? And then we decided, you know what, we're going to email them back, we're going to refund their money, tell them thanks for being a founding member. We're not ready yet. Once we're ready, we'll let you know and we'll give you a discount for coming back. Uh, for some reason, that email never went out. Three weeks later, we made the stupidest decision ever. We said, you know what, let's just try to fulfill these orders to see what happens. We didn't have anything set up in Bitcoin if they weren't ready operationally. So I spent about a week, no joke, sleep on, on two, three hours of sleep, calling Asia, calling every connection I had in the garment industry in Asia, trying to see who can custom make clothing for us, at least in the short term. Ran to a printer just around the corner on Sky Park Circle here, printed out these ugly postcard things where people had to measure themselves, fill in their measurements for their entire body, snap a picture of it, email us the picture so we have their measurements. 
we would translate that into the, the metric system, send it to Asia for Taylor to make it there, and we'll ship it back and repackage it and ship it out. Um, very first customer that got his shipment lived in Alaska, and I remember the email. All it said was, what the heck is this question? And there was a picture attached to it. And it was him in his boxers trying to put on our pants, and he had it up just barely past the knees, and he couldn't pull it any harder. That's how off the clothing was. And you know, we're touting ourselves as, oh, this is custom, bespoke, nature. It's going to be perfect. And he can't get it past his knees. Um, so it was a disaster. We had, you know, we had a couple dozen customers that we sent only to that nothing fit. And, and so that was the first experience of our operation. <laughs> okay, so absolute disaster. Yes. Okay, so panic mode, crap, what are we gonna do? Our obviously we have to go into um, you know appease them, but really operations wise, how are we gonna get it done? So what did you guys do? When you don't sleep, because we were on the horn with every person in the industry. Here's the thing, we knew nothing about tailoring. We're not we're not clothing people, we're not tailors, we don't have anyone who in our company who knew anything about that. So we were learning as we go all night, we were Googling how to make clothing, we were calling any tailor in Asia who could help with this stuff. And uh, basically the only solution, which is unfortunate in a lot of startups go through this, is you burned a lot of cash trying to figure it out. We had to do on average three remakes per customer when we had no funding at the time, so this was coming out of our pockets. On top of that, there were probably five or six people who just wanted to refund outright, but we already spent money making a post on shipping from overseas. Um, so it was, a, it was a painful process, an expensive process, but it was, we learned a lot and we, we basically burned a lot of credibility with 20-something people to eventually learn, perfect the process for the future. So I guess in that sense, they were the guinea pigs and I feel horrible for them, but it helped us learn and learn quickly. So in retrospect, what would you have done differently? Oh, was, we were working it out there. And that was a huge, uh, a huge time saver and probably trouble saver for us. So you, uh, did you and your partner go back out to Asia to help set up shop, or was it uh, just your partner that went out so you guys finally set up shop. What is the what is the process now when somebody goes on, you know, your website gathering need and yeah. signs up? What's the process now? So the process from there was the, the timing was, was someone I was speaking with someone here who mentioned there's a lot of companies in that space now doing the online tailoring. It was good timing in the sense that a lot of technology was coming about now, whether it was apps or algorithms that can determine body measurements how this happened to send our customers a postcard and try to teach them how to measure their own their own body. Uh, so at that point it's, it was a matter of stepping up the tech game, moving away from Squarespace onto the platform that was built for this, and partnering with a, a body measurement algorithm company to provide to basically provide that support for us. Once we were able to do that with big data, things got a lot easier. So how did you find this uh, this app in Google developer company in order to do this specific niche in your product? A lot of Google searches, a lot of phone calls, a lot of network 
have to do it. It, it, it literally, literally terrifies me to go these things. But we have, to, we have to go, we have to meet people, and we have to not be afraid to ask someone you just met for a favor to introduce you to someone else if you have to, and just keep working that chain until you, until you find the right person. And that's actually how it happened. It was an intro from someone, who intro me to someone else, to a third person who finally knew a guy who had he actually he had heard of a company that was at a startup event in Austin, Texas. And their whole business was third generation tailors here in the US, but the kids didn't want to be tailors when they grew up. What they realized they had though was three generations of body measurements from all the customers on paper. So what they did was take that on paper, put it into data, work some algorithms, or based on your height. Up. So basically what, what you can do is take your height, your weight, and the, the basic measurements every guy knows, your pant size, your, your dress shirt neck size, your chest, you throw those in there and our algorithm will spit out 28 measurements that are accurate to about an 8% margin of error to your actual body measurements. <coughs> yeah, so it was, uh, but to get to that point of finding that person, it was just dropping your pride, doing what you hate, and hustling your butt out. So how did you actually get into touch, or how did David and John actually get in touch with you for this? Yeah, I like how you were hyping this up as David and John. It's not about David, all about David. I actually think it's a really good point to tell, just, well, I'll let you say. Yeah, so, it, it, um, networking is important. The funny thing is, three days later, we get another email from that guy, Maury, and he said, hey, Dave has to find in LA tomorrow. Uh, can you just meet with him then? And so we had nothing prepared. Stayed up all night putting together tracking in the samples for him and stuff. And the next day, just like that, we're in the we're having breakfast at the SLS in Beverly Hills, sitting in front of Dave and John and talking business. So so stepping back to saying, you know, being well prepared for VCs, what is what is your biggest component on when you're getting ready to pitch? Yeah, so that's that's a really good question. I think it's, it's something that it, there's kind of a harsh reality right now that a lot of startups don't want to hear. Um, they focus on these these unicorns in the industry that get the hundred x valuations. Right, they have no revenue, but they're they, they receive a hundred million dollar valuation, right, which is crazy. The harsh reality right now, at, at least in terms of I try to keep my ear to the ground in terms of Silicon Beach and VCs there, is that it's not that the, the funds have dried up, they're just not giving away the crazy valuations. It's a lot harder to get funding now than it was five, seven, eight years ago. And the VC world, they do go through seasons like this where you'll, you'll, you know, a year or two from now, you might start seeing these crazy free money valuations again. But right now, it's not that time. And one thing that we did before even seeking investment is like I shared with you, it's kind of crazy to do it that way, but we tried to prove traction first. Um, and it's kind of back to that stage now where my biggest recommendation is build your model, get some kind of traction. It's not revenue, it's customer acquisition, it's usage, any kind of good UX data you can get to show there's momentum. Get that before even trying to approach a VC, because right now it's really hard to get an audience if you don't 
we knew that going in, and lucky for us, we had a pre-seed round locked up before we met with, with Damien. So our entire pitch was, here's the business model. More importantly, here's why we're doing it. Right? That we were pitching the story more than the product itself. But I think what really got him, there's a point in the meeting where he leaned back in his chair and questions asked about what do you need from me? And it was great to be able to the first thing out of our mouth to say, we don't need money. And that's I think what the first thing that really caught his eye. And it's mainly because our traction was able to put us in a position where we could say something. Um, and so that was really the pitch to him. It's look, we want your social media influence, we want your knowledge about the fashion industry, but we don't need your money. And I think that's what really sold him on. So you uh, says yes. And yay, glamour, you have sharp, you bit. What is actual reality? <laughs> so yeah, there was a two-week stretch where we were rock stars in the Silicon Beach area. We're we're kind of guys from If you can, go start, start going to some networking events up there. It's, it's, uh, it's a different world because really, up in, the reason why I was so happy, to, you guys remember Dollar Shave Club got bought out for a ridiculous amount of money. Uh, I've, I've, had, I've met that CEO a number of times, and he's the biggest prick in the world. I hate the guy, and most people agree. But the reason why, even though I feel that way about him, I was really excited that's really the first LA slash Silicon Beach startup to be, to be the home run. I felt like LA really needed that first one to do it. And the OC scene is kind of tied to LA. They group us together in SoCal. So, um, what was your question? <laughs>
got pulled over on econ there, so it's, the company is breaking even, it's just running on its own, but it's kind of weird because no one's managing shit. That's a good thing about subscription businesses, though. You're going to find everything, every business that I have a hand in, it's always a subscription model, because it's that money while you sleep model. Uh, so it, it's kind of been a break even thing, but this is the challenge of trying to have a mission and a cause and do good while trying to be a for-profit company. The bottom line is we still want to make money and a lot of money. And we're kind of at a crossroads right now where, where the mindset is, okay, this isn't going to be the next $100 million idea. Even with the cause, do we want to do it? If it was a nonprofit, it was a no-brainer. We keep it going. But I remember the whole goal was to run it as a for-profit and prove that a for-profit could do as much good as a non-profit. And, uh, you know, obviously, Kara Thieves, it's a new, they're making waves, challenging stance socks and stuff like that, so he jumped there. I have some other things going. And it's a tough call. I'm trying to decide, you know, you're very attached to your baby, but we need to make a decision of what is this? Are we doing it for philanthropy? Are we doing it for profit? And at some point, one needs to supersede the other. And we're kind of at that, kind of at that point where we need to make a decision on that. So that would be just coming up the lines and trying to figure out what exactly we're going to do. Yeah. All right. Um, then let's go on with your, your next venture uh, and how are you going to get involved with that? Interesting story. So one day I built this platform. I, I think, uh, no, no offense to, I, I know a lot of guys are here, coders and developers. This guy really fit the mold of a typical coder or a typical engineer. You put him behind a keyboard and ask him to build, absolutely brilliant. The guy can build anything and he can do it quicker. Business sense, understanding cash flow, balance sheets, understanding direction, vision, stuff like that, no idea what to do. So this guy built a text marketing platform. A lot of these major companies, they were they're the backing for the text text for like companies like AT&T and a lot of major banks and stuff like that. He built this platform, again, he, he, the, the business side of the things wasn't really his strong suit, so he hires a consulting company, he outsources them to sell the product. They're killing it, making, making boatloads of money on it, the end users are loving it. He kind of drew the short straw and poured himself by signing a bad contract where he's the big loser out of this thing when it's his product. So I met a, a couple guys, one of them was from Pepperdine, who they basically made the proposition to him, hey, if, you, if we help you get out of that contract where you bring your IP over or your tech over to us, we'll rebuild it, kind of rebrand it as a new company. And um, they did that, but the, the two guys who helped do that, they're not startup guys either. So they, they were working on this for about a year, could not get it to launch. That's when they reached out to me and said, hey, can you, can you take us to market? So, Went on, joined on board, and I think it was three, four, four months later, we launched and still running today. So what exactly is it? Which, what is the need that you guys are fulfilling? Yeah, so there's an interesting thing with text marketing, where in the US, texting is the, te your SMS, your text app, is the most used app on your phone, statistically. Anywhere outside of the US, they use Line app or WhatsApp or Kakao and things like that. But in the US, text is king, and it's not even close. But when you when you look at the tech scene right now, 
all the energy, focus, and funding is going towards building out those messenger apps, while everyone's ignoring this whole technology of text messaging. So you're having, you know, big talk now is AI, machine learning, chatbots, things like that, all those cool little phrases. It's all going to messenger apps. No one is really focusing on trying to bring today's technology into the old school SMS world. So we felt there's a space there. We felt the, the technology is already being built out with AI. Nowadays, for funding, if you can say if you can say you have AI in your product, you're going to get at least a VC to listen. Uh, so that being seen, we, we we realized you know what? No one is. Everyone's ignoring <laughs> text messaging. Probably because it's not as sexy as these messaging apps. So we decided, you know, let's see if we can bring that tech into the old school communication platform. And that's really what we're uh, we're setting out to do. So it's a marketing platform for text messaging. Yeah. So, um, so the the simplest form is if you go to if you go to Chipotle, you'll see something on the wall that says text Chipotle to eighty thousand and receive free side on your next visit or something like that. That's like the most simple form where all the way to your pharmacy now when your, your drugs are ready to be picked up, they text you and all those reminders that go out to you or your banks when your statements do, those text reminders, that's all that's all in the text marketing space. So um, let's go a little bit uh, back. So during all this, you are still working at Net Solutions and that's your bread and butter that's pretty much your nine to five and then you have your startups that you also are working on in between. Plus, you're married and you have family. So, you know, juggling all of those different hats and trying to be uh, multiple purposes all the time. So how, how do you go? Two things. One, have a very, very forgiving wife. She does way more than she should have. Um, especially, I you know, last time I spoke, I had a third kid this year, so there's a lot on her plate. Um, the second thing is the truth that, you know, you, you'll hear a lot of these guys on social media, they're, they're always touting, you know, oh, you need to work hard, you, 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 know, you put in the time, just go do things and things will happen. The, the truth, the reality is something has to give. And for me in my life, that had, the thing that gives the most is sleep. Um, there's a, a friend of mine here, she always asks, how do you do it on so little sleep? Where, uh, you know, a, a, a typical day for me is I'm going to bed between 1.30 and 2 and waking up at 6. And I do that six days a week. And if I'm lucky, one of the weekend days I can either sleep in or squeeze a nap in. And so, whether it's sleep or whether it's family, the truth is, if you're gonna do a side hustle, which I'm very big on and all for, that's how, in fact, everything that I've launched, uh, except for that first, the big three thing, was all a side hustle game in the beginning. Uh, something does have to give. And a lot of times it's sleep, a lot of times it's your health, some people just have to stop working out, your diet goes to crap, um, you have to go going out to friends, whatever it might be, something something has to give, it's, it's, a lot of times it's more than one, but the biggest thing for me is sleep. The only way I can make it work is put my kids down at 9, 9.30, they're out, I immediately go to my laptop, open it up, and I'm back working again. Yeah, 
I'd have to step away from the company just out of pure embarrassment and integrity. Like, I would be able to walk in there if it was we felt flat out space. Fortunately, it worked. Um, out of the 19, I believe, who left the company, I only had to fire two. And to me, that was the biggest win because all the rest really started to realize I'm lying, I'm just miserable here because it's the wrong fit. <laughs> Once they were able to figure out where the right fit was, they started sending out the resumes on their own. 